So you lived that as a young person. Your home was a place of the occult. Yeah, my mother was involved in um, all kinds of different cultic activity like tarot card reading, past lives reading, seance kind of activities. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. That was Dan Burke. He's the author of The Devil in the Castle, St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul. The publisher is Sophia Institute Press and appropriately Dan is the author of this fine tome. We often think of demons appearing only in extravagant and extraordinary manifestations or working only through bad people. But the truth is more frightening than that. That's from a blurb for the book. My guest is Dan Burke, and he has a fascinating interview. He has deeply held views on many matters. And of course, his childhood experience leaves him with a lot of insight into the demonic, the dark side, and the diabolical. He looks today at our world with increasingly concerned eyes, and all about him he sees the rise of Marxism in many quarters. The the Marxist shift, this Marxist socialist shift in the United States, uh, in particular, is fundamentally to increase the power and size of government and decrease the freedom of the individual. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Well, I hope you're all well and getting ready for spring and, well, getting ready for St. Patrick's Day. That's coming up on March 17th. I don't have to tell you, it's one of my favourite days of the year now that I'm here in the United States of America. I got tickle-pinked, if you will. Or was that my drink was spiked with green or something with this survey I received today? And it ranked some of the most Irish cities in America by various metrics. Number of Irish organizations, number of Irish bars, number of Irish meetups, percentage of the population that claims Irish heritage. And maybe no surprise, Boston, Massachusetts, top the league at number one in america followed by chicago and of course no surprise here new york one of the most irish cities in america after boston and chicago well i hope you'll all be celebrating it in fine fettle and have a lot of fun and yeah let's get the green out for saint patrick's day i also want to tell you about a great new podcast it's called Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein. It's on all things money and markets. The most recent episode looked at the next revolution in banking in this age of robotics and digital innovation. It has a lot of rich and deep research and had a lively debate and pleased to be part of it. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais. He's the chief financial strategist at Odeon Capital Group and Matt Van Alstein, Odeon co-founder and managing partner. In a moment, we'll catch up with my interview with Dan Burke. He'll talk about... 
well, the world of the spirits. He'll talk about our existential crisis. He'll talk about his own faith and the crisis he had in childhood and the great difficulties. He will speak frankly for the first time publicly about what he encountered as a young man on the dark side and it, it it's breathtaking it's it, it, it certainly had me trembling and it opened my eyes to some things we don't discuss here in our world today but he gets right to it and his new book again is the devil in the castle i'm your host john aiden byrne Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Dan Burke. He's the founder and president of the Avila Institute for Spiritual Formation. And he has a new book out, The Devil in the Castle, St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul. And if you're not into faith, religion, I urge you to stay with the show because Dan has a lot of deeply held views on what he sees going wrong in the world today in terms of our personal freedoms, uh, the economic model we seem to be gravitating towards, the rise of Marxism as he sees it, and what this could mean for the ordinary person in the street. I think his book is a great read, and you'll just want to stay and and listen. It's fascinating. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Dan Burke, welcome to my show. It's great to be with you. Yeah, you're, I won't say a busy man, you're a super busy person. You've just finished a book, it's out this month. You're running a business, a spiritual retreat. You're giving interviews, talking to the media, and uh, you're doing lots of stuff. I'm always amazed how busy people get a lot of things done very well, and people who are not busy can barely boil an egg. I'm just amazed. So good luck to you. You can probably teach me some lessons here. You're out with a new book. What's interesting about your book is it deals on some levels, at least, with the demonic, the the dark side of life and with a very special Roman Catholic saint. So tell us a little bit about that and what can we expect to read in this book? And then I want to get into the dark side of things, why this should disturb us. Yeah, so um, uh, Teresa of Avila wrote in the 16th century. <clears throat> she's a doctor of the church, so of the Catholic Church. So she's held in very high regard with re- respect to her teachings. And in her book, Interior Castle, which was her most famous work, she speaks of how the, the soul progresses uh, toward union with God and then how the devil uh, interferes and manifests in each key stage to try to inhibit the progress of the soul to heaven. Wow, that's heavy-duty stuff, and it's a lot to understand and digest. Try to explain that to us. Yeah, I mean, Teresa presumes, of course, there is a devil. Her worldview is 
is consistent with the Catholic worldview, which is that there are angels and demons, and demons are fallen angels who who uh, rebelled against God and then who were cast out of heaven and now uh, work to try to destroy uh, humanity, any human being, for for any reason. And so she is is uh, uh, trying to help people understand their tactics and how they work, how they think, and how they influence us, and then how we can fight back in very, very specific ways, ways that they try to deceive us and tempt us to sin. And, uh, you know, their strategies change. When somebody first begins to try to walk with God, they work pretty hard to draw them back into sin. Uh, As an example, later on, when somebody is really not easily tempted by, you know, things like, uh, you know, worldly success or pornography or whatever, uh, the uh, the devils, the demonic will will change their strategy, entice them to do something good that is not God's will. So she describes a, a complete spectrum of of ways that a person will encounter uh, the devil and how to fight how to fight him off. She lived in a different era several centuries ago. Yeah, yeah, 16th century, yep. So I bring that up because people today in the so-called modern world will laugh that off. Many people, sophisticated sure. people, and maybe many people in the in the Catholic Church and in Christian churches, they say, oh, that's that was all superstition. You know, they didn't have electric light back then. They didn't have TV. They didn't, they didn't read all these enlightened books. How do you address that? Well, it's an interesting question. So I've been, I uh, happen to have been, I grew up in a home where the occult was uh, practiced by my mother. And as a young child, I was exposed to some pretty terrifying things that were not natural, that were supernatural. So I've always had an interest in this realm. Uh, in, the, in the past decade, I've been asked to assist in 24 exorcisms uh, with a priest who's an exorcist in his diocese. And uh, I always find it humorous when people are skeptical because I always think, well, I'd love to have you in an exorcism. I was, I was picked up off the ground uh, along with four other men my size, one quite a bit bigger, by a woman, uh, a frail elderly woman who could barely walk, but who had been offered up uh, in a black mass um, and then sexually abused uh, as well. And so she was possessed. But uh, when you confront evil, I, you know, it, it's, it's humorous when people disagree in the sense that, you know, there's no explanation for what I experienced uh, as a child, no explanation for what I, what exorcists experience other than the supernatural. And uh, I, you know, I don't know, it doesn't trouble me a bit. Uh, I, I often think humorously, well, I'd love to have you in an exorcism, but that probably wouldn't be good for them. Uh, being unbelieving uh, is, is kind of dangerous in that context. So you lived that as a young person. Your home was a place of the occult. Yeah, my mother was involved in um, all kinds of different uh, occultic activity like tarot card reading, past lives reading, seance kind of activities. Uh, trying, I mean, and to her defense, she was trying to do what many people are trying to do when they get involved with that sort of thing is try to make sense of her own suffering mm-hmm. and, and try to get control of her, you know, the world that seemed out of control. And so, uh, but unfortunately, sometimes when people call in the darkness, uh, something answers. And in, in our case, 
um, something did answer, and, and I experienced some pretty terrifying things as a child. Could you give us some details on that? <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, I've, I've never really shared any of this publicly. Um, just being harassed and terrified by visions and by demonic manifestations, it's, it's very hard to explain exactly the experiences but um, I can tell you the effect was that I was terrified as a young man. And, uh, and that, along with other things in my youth, eventually led to me even considering taking my own life. But, but I actually ultimately, long, uh, at, when I was older, it's easier to describe. I mean, I've, your, 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 listener, your, your listeners or your watchers are going to think I'm crazy. But uh, I actually saw demons manifest um, in a church service. And uh, it was then that I actually went and sought help myself for, for the torment that I was going through. Wow. I had no idea of um, your background before we came on the air. And I'm fascinated by this for a number of reasons because, and I know you've interviewed Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. Yeah. You wrote Diary of an American Exorcist. I followed and listened to your episodes. I also interviewed him. I wrote about his book for the New York Post, and I found him extraordinary and credible. And yeah. um, he produced some evidence. I've also spoken to people who claim they have had experiences with the dark side. And I've never, I didn't find some of what they said credible. I found it fabricated. Yeah. And so I kind of, as a journalist, try to be even handed, balanced, yeah. and skeptical when it's healthy, but also um, having an open mind. So I just want to ask you again about your childhood. Was it, and this sounds like an oxymoron, but was it a religious household in the sense that your family went to a church? My father was agnostic. Uh, my mother, and, and they were divorced young. My mother uh, was is Jewish. Uh, I am Jewish as well. I'm a of course, Catholic now, but I'm what you might call a Hebrew Catholic. Uh, my stepfather was Catholic, but he wasn't practicing, and he was he was abusive. Um, so uh, that the the household was religious. You know, we had we had um, we we went to bar mitzvahs, and we um, we practiced. We had Hanukkah, and we went to synagogue at times. Um, so it was a weird mixture of Judaism and you know, popular occultic stuff. It's amazing. And I think within even Christian circles and church circles and people of faith and no faith, that there is a lot more dabbling, if you will, in the occult, uh, yeah. some of it out of entertainment, maybe. Sure. And some of it seeking some kind of an answer to lives, to the problems of our lives and anxiety. Or I'm told some people innocently step into a very dark side. Yeah, I mean, it does happen. I had, uh, not, not too long ago, there was a, a video of young women being taken, uh, I can't remember which country it was, being taken in an ambulance uh, because they had been using a Ouija board and they had become possessed. And, and of course, they were making noises that women typically can't make, you know, uh, male voices and that sort of thing. So it doesn't always happen. I mean, uh, Monsignor Rossetti, uh, you know, uh, and I agree, believe uh, that the uh, the activity of the demonic is probably higher 
than uh, most people would think. Um, how many people are actually possessed isn't isn't extremely high. But uh, you know, uh, to me, <laughs> why uh, why play with fire? I mean, uh, uh, the the uh, I don't you know I I think when when people are trying to find answers and they and they take a broad look at what really uh, happens to people who who do get an answer back, it usually isn't good. Uh, sometimes it's good in the short term in the sense that there's some benefit engaging with demonic uh, uh, power, but then it ultimately in the long term, it, it becomes a disaster because their end is just to, to destroy a person. So I think, uh, you know, my advice, of course, is just to stay clear of it. And, uh, and if you want answers, go to go to the, the church, however broken the church is, uh, I believe it does have the, the answers to the most important questions in life. And, uh, and certainly that's been the case for me. But uh, playing with the darkness is very dangerous. It's interesting, one of the most popular posts on spiritualdirection.com, which we have readers in 190 countries, is, um, is uh, how to make a pact with the devil. And uh, what's funny about it is that, uh, and this just shows your uh, notes back to your interest, which is growing, of course. Um, it's our most popular post ever, but the post is why you shouldn't make a pact with the devil, but they search and then find our site. And then, ah. of course, we let them know of the dangers, which is great. But uh, yeah, the interest is very high. So, there was so you, that's pact. the most traffic site on, on your platform? The, mo the highest trafficked post. How to make a pact with the devil. That's extraordinary. For the wrong reasons, unfortunately. For the wrong, you know. Yeah, no, no, obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and there's a there's a Satan con, I guess, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, going on in the last, I don't know, it's coming up or is in the last week or so. Um, the interest in that whole thing is is going up quite a bit. I mean, some of it's just like a, an entertainment value, a sort of a almost like an existential crisis in communities and in families, maybe, you know, a, a struggle to find meaning and they're brought in this direction. And then there's another thing that has been getting some attention is these Luciferian statues yeah. in, in public places. And again, there's two sides to this. Some who say, look, I'd let people have a little bit of fun. You don't take it yeah. too seriously. But if you've examined it closely enough, these these are these seem to be really not good minded people that are doing this. Well, I mean, their their religion isn't one of uh, goodwill towards neighbor. That's for sure. You know, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are all about willing the best uh, for the other, just for the just because they you should. And of course, the uh, Satanism in its essence, is seeking to control and manipulate the world uh, around them uh, in terms of those who practice uh, that, that kind of religion. And uh, it's, it's manipulation for a narcissistic end, whereas Christianity is, is fundamentally about the one who gave all to free all, and then our emulation of him in, in serving others and humanity toward God. And, and their religion is about serving self and pleasure and the lower nature uh, wherever it will lead. And I've asked this of others uh, who are experts like yourself, have these dark forces entered the ranks of government in, in some form? Have they influenced or is it possible that lawmakers are tabling in this? Because we see some crazy bills going through Congress that are not good for humanity and in you know world governments. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's, you know, I think, look, if you believe it, 
and you believe and you understand it and, and, and understand why, why they exist, why they do what they do, their interest is destroying humanity because they hate humanity. So there are many means to destroy us. Uh, government's a good one. I think the, the Marxist shift, Marxist socialist shift in the United States uh, in particular is fundamentally to increase the power and size of government and decrease the individual for the freedom of the individual. I mean, at its, at its essence. Yeah. Um, and historically, you and I have both been around the block long enough to know none of that ends well. And there have been more lives lost, uh, millions and millions of lives lost to those ideologies in our lifetime, in the lifetime of our parents, than in any other, in, more, in, in the time, any other time in history. And those ideologies all begin with, you know, pretense about taking care of people and, you know, the common good and not making everyone sick. So everyone's got to get vaxxed or, or, you know, uh, controlling those bad anti-vaxxers. But it always, uh, you know, somebody always ends up with the star on their, on their shoulder and in an oven uh, of some kind, you know, or in the front of a gun. Uh, so, yeah, I believe that there, these demonic powers are at work in governments for sure. Marxism also at its core is godless. And right. it's about control, and it's not about the right kind of control. Right. And it, it right. robs communities of liberty and your free will, in a sense. Yeah, and you're, you're getting to the essence of the thing, right? What is possession? What's the worst encounter with the devil? It's, it's the, you lose your ability to fight. You're, no, you're, no, you're, you're now a, a puppet in the hand of a, a demonic power. And so, so that's the end of the spectrum, like the worst end of the spectrum. So the diminishment of freedom in any way, um, unless it's necessary for the, for the common good in a, in a really substantive way, for instance, the diminishment of, of the freedom of someone to shoot you is good. Um, but the diminishment of the freedom to, to, to have a gun for somebody who's law abiding is, is, not, is not bad. Um, it's a, it, I mean, it's good to have uh, freedom to be able to protect yourself. So any movement in my, I'm, no, I'm not a libertarian, but generally speaking, any movement toward removing individual freedoms uh, that then get uh, centralized in a government uh, is very scary and just has never worked out in the history of humanity that I'm aware of. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. My guest is Dan Burke. He's the author of The Devil in the Castle, St. Teresa of a Villa, Spiritual Warfare, and The Progress of the Soul. We pick up the interview on the book after our earlier conversation on his childhood, the demonic, the diabolical, quite frightening experiences he had in his early life and how he came out of that. Uh, just tell us a, a little bit more now of who this person was that he's writing about. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. She's yeah. a doctor of the a church. Doctor of the church. Yes. So, and she was the first female doctor of the church, correct? I think that's right. Yeah. I guess your whole background drew you to, to this book. Is that what inspired you? I was, you know, I had a pretty difficult 
childhood and was wrestling with whether or not to continue in my own existence because of the suffering that occurred because of abuse and things like that. And so I cried out to God as a young man and said, you know, give me a reason to live. And he did. And that was in Jesus. And then I, I began to uh, read and study about and try to live what it means to be in union with God uh, and to know him and to follow him. And in that process, stumbled upon her writings as a Protestant, actually, and um, was really kind of, was really blown away by. Uh, she's very human. Uh, people uh, might be surprised that she's named a doctor of the church and held in such great esteem. But all through the book, she speaks of her own sin and her own sinfulness and her own brokenness. You know, uh, which was very compelling to me because I could certainly relate to sin and brokenness. But then she also relayed what it was like to really have what Protestants call a personal relationship with Jesus. Catholics don't use that language, but uh, certainly she lived what Protestants are selling. I, I don't want to make it sound negative, but she lived what Protestants are proclaiming is, is the most important thing. And so, of course, then that made me uh, study more in the, uh, around her. I discovered she was uh, a nun, and I discovered she was Catholic because I didn't know any of that. I didn't know what those were. So you hadn't known that? No, I had no idea what, I, I didn't even know what a, I didn't know habits. I mean, I just was very ignorant. And so mm -hmm. I began reading her work and it just captured my attention. And I thought, you know, I'm broken. I'm trying to become human, uh, if you will. I'm trying to follow God and, and to break out of the destructive patterns of my family life and my own sin. And I think she can show me the way. And uh, of course, uh, eventually concluded she could, but also that the Catholic Church could show me the way. The subtitle is St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul. Yeah. So uh, basically what she taught was, as an, I'll give you an example. She said that when somebody is uh, beginning their pursuit of God or, or their pursuit of uh, following him or understanding him, they take up the practice of mental prayer and uh, meditation, that sort of thing. And uh, what she notes is that the that there, and she describes them as being in the outer courts of the castle at that point. So if you think of a a castle like a medieval castle, I mean, you your homeland's got plenty of them, yeah. but you often they're situated in a city with walls around the castle, you know, big walls around. And inside the castle is inside the church, so to speak. You've been baptized, confirmed. I, I mean, inside the inside the kingdom of God is you've been baptized, confirmed, you're in the kingdom. But then there's a castle in the middle. And she says, this is where you really begin to experience God in a, in a, a profound way. She said, to enter in, you have to enter in through prayer and reflection. You have to become, you have to begin to draw near to Jesus in conversation. And you have to begin to reflect on your life in the context of God to develop awareness and humility necessary to begin to fight against sin. So she says that there are out there are demons in the outer court, and those demons, their, their, their central purpose is to dissuade you from moving in. Well, how do they dissuade you? They, they talk to you about how good those sins felt that you're trying to leave behind. They talk to you about worldly concerns, about success and money, and they try to get you busy doing other things because, she says, they know that when you enter in, uh, you're likely to, to begin to do better in your life 
and also begin to draw other people with you. So that's just one example of the first mansion and the first demons that uh, and their assignments uh, related to keeping you, uh, holding you back as you enter into a, a deeper relationship with God. You mentioned those distractions and so on, worldly powers and glamour and success and money, career advancement. Not all of those things in and of themselves are bad. I mean, it's not a True. bad thing for somebody to enjoy their work and maybe, hey, I'm working in the back office today. Maybe another year or two, if I keep working at this, I'll be in the front office and work my way up to management. Not not necessarily a bad ambition, I don't think. No, no, I think that you're exactly right. I mean, wealth in and of itself is not bad. Jesus said that the love of money is the root of all evil, not that money. Um, That's a very important distinction. It's the love. In other words, a multimillionaire could be great in the eyes of God, no but doubt. it's how he handles that money that we're talking about. That's exactly right. I mean, being a Christian isn't, you know, I live a quasi-religious life, but but I'm my life is very rare. Uh, we need people who are people of goodwill, who care about the, the, greatest, the highest interest of others, who are in government. We need them in business. We need them in every aspect of society, in, in the medical industries, with, with you know, Alexis de, de Tocqueville, uh, you might recall at the beginning, you know, as he came to the United States to examine the beginning of this experiment, said that faith uh, and Christian faith was like the glue that held all of this good that was beginning to emerge in this new free uh, context uh, uh, and government, this, this, this democratic republic government. And so we and so to the degree that we have people who whose primary concern is to help others in whatever aspect, government or business or whatever, our society will will do well. I think de Tocqueville was right in that assessment. Um, so you're exactly right in saying there's nothing wrong with that. But the issue is is your attachments, how excessive you are, you know, uh, if you're if your drive to make money uh, causes you to neglect faith or causes you to neglect your spouse or your children, of course, that, that means your drive is disordered. But an ordered drive is to be excellent in everything you do. An ordered drive is to want to uh, do all that you do well. Um, a disordered drive is to take those things to extreme and, and to harm your own soul and the souls of others. And somebody who's fortunate enough to acquire a lot of money or wealth mm -hmm. uh, or was born into it has a responsibility, I presume, as a Christian and as a Catholic to help others less fortunate. No doubt. No, I mean, that's exactly right. And, and it, it's, a, it's a big drive of my own life. We've given away a million dollars in scholarships since the opening of the Avila Institute. And, and the reason we've done it is because I have a passion to help people who desire to know God, to get answers to the most important questions of life, but who don't have the money or the means to do it. I remember we had one student in uh, Nigeria who had, to, who had to buy gasoline to fire up a generator to turn on his internet just to take courses, but the courses didn't cost him anything. <laughs> but that's a, that's a heart who desires good. And he's a wonderful human being who's helping other people in Nigeria. And we want to help him. So that's, uh, you're exactly right. I think I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's the means that we come into, if, if, if we're blessed with intellect, 
and capability, uh, let's say above average in skill in some way that uh, becomes of great value, it's, 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 in, it's uh, our responsibility to help others, to lift others up as, uh, as we've been blessed by God unusually, then we should uh, reach out and, and help others as well. Because it bothers me sometimes when you listen to, to this rhetoric, um, especially on the extreme left, of confiscating the gains, if you will, the, the the money, the wealth created by large businessmen, successful families, um, as if they have stolen it. It's right. Marxism. And, well, and, and, yeah, I earn it, so I've stolen it, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I get it. I get it. Well, all they have to do is study Greece, you know, modern Greece, uh, which which just you know the entire economy collapsed recently. Because people had that same perspective over a long enough period, where all the money that free markets uh, 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 develop, all the opportunity and the wealth that free mar- markets created, was uh, totally collapsed by a social- socialist ideology. Because you remove the uh, the motivation of individuals to succeed, because the state becomes your daddy. And then everybody sits around until the money drives up, and then they go, "Wow, what happened?" You know. So, I mean, I, I don't mind saying socialism is profoundly stupid. Uh, Marxism is profoundly stupid. It doesn't even in the end work for Marxists. You know, their, their governments end up, a few people end up in power for a while and do what they want. And then they usually end up with a bullet hole in their head from one of their own. Yeah, well, we've seen the folly of it all over the world. You were guided by St. Teresa of Avila's masterpiece, the interior castle that was your guide. And I'm wondering, does that offer us a clue to her own background? She sounds like she came from aristocracy. No, it's an interesting question. Uh, I don't I don't think that that's true. I, if I were to, and I don't, I've never really thought about the-, the, the Which is not, by the way, to disparage her, but she, she wasn't, she came from a moneyed family, if you will. Well, Spain was at the time the, the, the superpower of the world in terms of uh, money and that sort of thing. I don't recall the family being uh, extremely wealthy. Um, I, might, I could be wrong and, and happy to be corrected, but I, I see them more as like a middle class kind of yeah. family um, having to deal with you know normal challenges. But um, no, I, I mean, she certainly traveled among aristocracy because uh, there were people of faith in power who had an interest in understanding the the great teachings that she had. And, you know, in her day, um, her, she was, you know, she established 17 uh, convents across uh, Spain with uh, no, you know, motorized vehicles, air conditioning, cell phones uh, in a very short period of time, because she only had her, her major conversion, I think when she was 48. So she was, it was late in life, um, but she, she rocked that world and, and became renowned. And so did have, although it's interesting. So, so let me get that again, Dan, she had her conversion and when she was 48. Well, she was, she'd been a nun for a long time before that, but she had never, she only began to practice mental prayer later in the convent, which sounds a little strange, but that's what happened to her. Mm. She read a book by Francisco Osuna, who was a Franciscan uh, um, priest, and it opened her eyes. And then within about 10 years of that time, she had a vision of Jesus uh, at the, being scourged at the pillar, and it rocked her world. And she founded the first convent there in Avila, Spain, and 
um, and then began to reform the order and establish new convents all over all over Spain. Was she a mystic? Oh yeah, uh, that's probably why people are most interested in her work. Um, she the the seven mansions. The first three cover two, the first two or three cover. Uh, mostly the progress of the soul in normal spiritual practices that you and I might practice and in, in the average Catholic who's devout would practice like daily mental prayer and, and you know, ascetical disciplines or whatever. But the, 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 the latter half of the book is about mystical experiences and how uh, God is seeking to draw our soul t- to himself and how the enemy how the how the demonic is seeking to twist uh, those things and to get us to do things that are destructive to our souls or to others. So you recommend this book for a wide set of readers. Do you have to be Catholic to read this? Uh, well, you might. I don't know if non-Catholic would think we're sane. Uh, I'm saying I don't know. <laughs> but um, the uh, her her original work, the Interior Castle, is difficult to read. Um, and difficult to follow. And I don't, I wouldn't recommend it, for instance, to somebody who wasn't praying and in the sacraments and because it'll just be a confusing fog. I have heard readers who have had advanced copies of my book say that the I'm very structured in the way I think and write. And so they say that my writings have helped them to understand it. And so then they go back to it and they get it. So yeah, I think that my book is is uh, much more approachable and readable, and in my my writing style is that anyway to try to try to encourage people to read it and understand uh, her original work. So, yeah, I mean it's it's for anyone who who's asking the question, how can I know God and 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 follow Him? And it it's clearly laid out in the book. So you're touching a subject which one wonders has not a good way to characterize it has prayer, if you will, gone out of favor. In, in the Catholic Church, in the sense that in, in former times, that prayer was a huge thing in homes. There was yeah. rosaries were said, you went to the church, and, yeah. um, you know, you're surrounded by it. I mean, there were certainly different times, but now it's sort of like check off the boxes with more people. Make sure I get to church on Sunday or the um, Saturday vigil mass and make sure I get to all the required ones at Easter and and do the other stuff. But maybe it's a more skeptical age we're in that you really can't, you know, the idea of something transcendental and reaching God through prayer, it doesn't wash with, with, with I believe, with, with a lot of Catholics. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's unfortunate. I mean, you've seen the, the total disintegration of Catholicism in, in your, your home country. Yeah, sadly. Uh, we, we, yeah, exactly. And certainly it's happening. We're talking about Ireland for people who can't guess, but I'm sure they have. They couldn't guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, But yeah, I mean, uh, and then, of course, both in Ireland and the United States, the faith of many. And and let me add here, Dan, I think Spain, too. Oh, of course. Yeah, yes. Quite an amazing drop off there. I tried to explain that, but, you know. Yeah, the only the only country. Well, and it's not to say uh, I shouldn't say it this way. Uh, The African continent is quite on fire with faith. Uh, which yeah. is interesting. And Poland, yeah, I guess, is pretty strong still. Yeah, I, yes. I, I think to to some degree, certainly in, in the Philippines. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, first world countries, if you want to call them that, um, post-enlightenment, uh, modernistic mind, uh, very materialistic, uh, scientism uh, in terms of a religion, um, 
uh, has all, uh, I mean, infiltrated the church. You know, I, yeah. I think that socialism has infiltrated the church. So I think that when socialism you go to, has infiltrated the Catholic Church. Oh gosh, yeah, among leaders and bishops, even. Oh yeah, I mean, wow. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you just look at what they focus on in terms of when it comes to voting and that sort of thing. But mm. I think that um, the and so they're what what's the homily? What are the homilies about? Uh, what is what do the priests speak about in an average service? It's not compelling. I, I I don't know what your opinion is. What's really compelling to me is someone who's with conviction talks to me about what Christ did for me on the cross, talks to mm. me about eternal issues challenges mm. me to be holy, to be a better human being, mm. to be better to my wife and, and to those in my care. Um, that has been replaced with a kind of feel-good religion where there is no hell. Um, and there and if there's a heaven, everybody goes, you know, just like everybody gets a trophy as long as you show <laughs> up to the game. And uh, it's not much to die for uh, or to live for. It, 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 it's, it's just banal. And so I think that's what, what I've seen in uh, in the church, and people might say, well, then why are you in it? Well, it's just because you don't have to read or study much to get to the real meat of things. You may not hear it as much as we'd like to in parishes, but the essence of the church is very alive, and the people that I surround myself with are seeking to give their lives to God and give it away to the world and help the world be a better place for everyone. Uh, and I just try to hang out with those kinds of people and, and, uh, and it's a very joyful life, but uh, I do understand why so many people have left. Because you know, if 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 the if there is no high bar, if there's no goal, if there's no if there's nothing substantive to call people to, why? Who cares? I mean, why why not just sit at home and watch a football game? Yeah, well, the scandals have not helped. You know, the right. shocking level of of abuses in the church inexcusable and uh, you know we we have to mention that it's 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 sad you also besides having this book out this month devil in the castle saint teresa of avila spiritual warfare and the progress of the soul which is published by sophia institute press you run a retreat center right is that in alabama yeah, it's it's, a, it's our lady of mount carmel retreat center yeah it's um it's in montgomery alabama and we uh Mostly, uh, it's actually brand new. I mean, we did, we purchased the land this last summer, and we're configuring it to house more and more people. It's not a business for us. It's mostly people come who need uh, prayer and healing and and spiritual guidance and that sort of thing. But it's not a money making thing. But yeah, I mean, I have a sixteen acre lake right out to the left of me as we're talking. That sounds beautiful. And, uh, it is beautiful. You should come down and, and see yeah. us from, from Might the get down there. And so what, what did the retreats involve? Just this kind of conversation. It's it's uh, a lot of people come have a very burdened. Uh, the last book I wrote, wrote was called Spiritual Warfare and Discernment of Spirits. And as an example, in that book, we help people to understand uh, negative emotions, where they come from, why they're there, and how they fight against them, <clears throat> how they can come to a life of peace and prayer. So it's things like that. Do you have religious services, mass, are priests present? Yeah, a lot of priests in and out. And we're we're still, we're in the building process right now. So uh, I was just up in the third floor with architects and we're getting a chapel in place. And But everything's brand new. I mean, there's a tractor uh, outside over here with full of uh, materials and people working, contractors. And so it's all pretty new. 
I'm pretty accessible by airports and all of that. People can yeah, fly in from minutes. New York, New Jersey, yeah. from Ireland, yeah. Spain, anywhere in the world. But there's yeah, a limit definitely. to the accommodate people. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm becoming your travel advisor here. <laughs> yeah, no, people should come. But, uh, but the other thing is, I will say, you don't have to come here to get what we offer. And we, we, we do formation in 70 countries through the internet at the Avila Institute. So avila-institute.org is the website if folks are, if, they're, if their interest is piqued by all this. Um, but also get the book because the book will be a, a great launching pad for anyone who's looking, you know, listening in and wonder and feeling like they're a little bit lost and want to want to find a good way. Just a quick wrap up on the book again. So St. Teresa is sort of your hero, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I, I dedicated it to two women I love, uh, her and my wife, uh, because I think she helped me to come to the church. And I, and I think um, that she, I, it would do the world and the Catholic Church a good a, a good if uh, she was reintroduced and people looked into her life more and the way she lived and the and and the one to whom she led um, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people since she wrote in the 16th century. So yeah, most definitely a hero. And she sounded like a very bright, intelligent and guessing well-educated. She wrote The Interior Castle, which is complex. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. She wasn't well-educated. Um, she was very bright though. I, I, I don't know what to attribute to miraculous intervention of God in her own intellect but if i were to judge it purely on human terms she had to have been a genius because in that time women did not have a privilege or the ability to do what what she did and she seemed to twist every uh every man in authority around her little finger and uh <laughs> manipulate them to get whatever she needed to build her convents and and help people to heaven so uh uh i think even a feministic uh, mind of our time would look at her life and be quite blown away and moved by how she had the world at her uh, fingertips um, when she was uh, when she was in her heyday. Yeah, there must have been some uh, divine intervention. Look at the distance she traveled to create all those <laughs> places, like the apostles. You hear, you know, yeah. they were over in the Middle East, and one of them ended over in Spain or something. I mean, how could right. I can't imagine anybody walking that much today in Africa, of course. Yeah, yeah, in they India. must have been sort of uh, floating on air and taken in by. <laughs> By somebody above, I guess. There you go. Um, so the book is out this month. Where can people and listeners get copies? Where can they order? Uh, probably the easiest thing to remember is spiritualdirection.com. And then there's a little shop button at the top of that page. Or you can do forward slash shop and you'll find all the books I've written there plus this one. Dan Burke, this has been fascinating, interesting, uplifting. And thank you for being on my show. Well, great. I'm grateful you had me and, and blessings to you and all your good work. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.